Good morning, everyone. Beautiful day today. And good morning to all those who are watching online. I'm reading from Rays of the One Light, which are weekly commentaries showing the parallels between the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda written by Swami Kriyananda. This week's topic is, Can Man See God? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. There is a saying in chapter 1 of the Gospel of St. John that would seem to respond with a definite no to the question, Can man see God? The saying is, no man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, hath declared him. Many great saints, however, claim to have seen God. If we ask then, can God be seen, rather than can man see God, the answer is yes. Else those saints lied, and the scriptures themselves lied. For Jesus also said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The point is, it is not man, this human body, these human eyes, that see God. God can be seen only with spiritual vision, with the eye of the soul. As the Bhagavad Gita puts it in the 11th chapter, Thou canst not Thou canst not see me with mortal eyes. Therefore, I now give thee sight divine. Behold my supreme power of yoga. With these words, Hari, the exalted Lord of yoga, revealed himself to Arjuna in his infinite form. <clears throat> Paramahansa Yogananda, in Autobiography of a Yogi, describes the supernal experience in words more readily comprehensible to the modern mind than the poetic phraseology of the Bhagavad Gita. The chapter, An Experience in Cosmic Consciousness, is one of the most inspiringly beautiful in all mystical literature. Here is a brief excerpt. An oceanic joy broke upon the calm, endless shores of my soul. The Spirit of God, I realized, is exhaustless bliss. His body is countless tissues of light. I saw the divine dispersion of rays pour from the eternal source, blazing into galaxies, transfigured with ineffable auras. Again and again, I saw the creative beams condense into constellations, then resolve into sheets of transparent flame. By rhythmic reversion, sextillion worlds passed into diaphanous luster. Fire became firmament. I cognized the center of the aperium as a point of intuitive perception in my heart. Irradiating splendor issued from the nucleus of every part to every part of the universal structure. 
the creative voice of God, I heard resounding as Ohm, the vibration of the cosmic motor. This, so the great masters aver, is what God is. And this also, they insist, is what we are in our deepest reality. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh, Good morning to all of you, and I also welcome you to our Sunday service. I never stop to, I have, uh, let's put it this way, this temple, the new temple which we dedicated last summer, never ceases to inspire and amaze me with its wonderful vibrations. So I'll begin with a passage from Whispers from Eternity by Yogananda. Open my inner eye, open my inner eye, O fountain of light, that I may behold thee in the dance of thy myriad-hued atoms. Burst open the doors of space, that I, that I may see thee behind the swirling mists of material illusion, behind thy walls of brilliant cosmic rays thou art hiding. Open every portal in nature, that I may see thee everywhere. Well, in the passage that Jyotish read, Swami so clearly and simply focused what our topic is. Not, it is not, can man see God, but can God be seen? And the answer to that is yes, resoundingly. And you see it in, uh, I don't know if you've had the opportunity to see film footage of, for example, the, the young visionaries, or now they're adults, but the children in Medjugorje, when they go into, every week they go into the trance and they see the Madonna. And it's so clear that they are seeing something, not with their eyes, although their eyes are very wide, but they are beholding something. And, I would imagine millions of people over the years have come to Medjugorje, and I don't know that others have seen the same vision that they've seen, but just the power of their perceiving the divine behind the mists of this world has changed the lives of millions of people. And so how do we get there? <clears throat> There's a, a joke that I've enjoyed over the years. Uh, it, it begins with a, a visitor to the state of Maine. There are many jokes about Maine farmers. I don't know why. I've never met a Maine farmer, but farmer from Maine. But in any case, so this visitor to the state of Maine is uh, trying to find a little town that he needs to visit, and he gets lost and his cell phone is dead, he doesn't have a map, he doesn't know how to get there. And then he looks and he sees over in a field a farmer there uh, fixing, mending one of his fences. And he goes over and he said, excuse me, can you tell me how to get to this town? And the farmer stops and he goes, why, sure, I can do that. 
Well, you go straight down that road and that you're on, and then you make a left at the first intersection and go about 20 miles. No, that won't get you there. Okay, let's, let's start again. You go straight down the road and you make a right at the first intersection and you continue on that right. And he goes, no, that won't get you there. And then finally he pauses and he says, you know, you can't get there from here. <laughs> and sometimes we think that about God. We can't get there from where we are. And yet the destination remains. The destination is there. And so how do we get there from here? How do we begin to transcend where we are right now, our perception right now, to be able to perceive a greater reality? I read a, a true story in a very interesting book called The View from Atlantis. And in this, this is a true story about a, a country parson who traveled in England in the 1700s, I think it was like 1785 or something like that. And he would travel through the English countryside, attending to different little parishes along the way. And, you know, would, this was something he'd been doing for years, and there was the landscape around him. And then one day, he looked up, and what he had always seen as just a, on a hillside in the distance, as a pile of rocks, he realized that that wasn't a pile of rocks. That was the ruin of an old sacred shrine. And then it was like his vision, just as when you read the whole poem, Samadhi, or excuse me, an experience in cosmic consciousness, how Master's vision just expanded and expanded. All of a sudden, the whole countryside to this country parson, he could see not only that had been a sacred shrine, but that the landscape, the hedges, and the, the swales, they were all integrated and consciously designed. And he was the first one who saw what we now call ley lines, that there were power centers, not power lines from PG&E, but magnetic lines, which we call ley lines, that connected these shrines all throughout the countryside of England. And, and now we can, and they uh, end at Glastonbury, what is now Glastonbury Cathedral. It had been a, a sacred shrine from an earlier, higher age. But in that moment, he saw the world around him with a different vision. And that was a grace that came to him to do that. But in our own lives, we need to strive for that because if we only let our consciousness be limited by what we read in the news or what we uh, see in the world around us. It feel, the, the soul feels trapped. It feels encapsulated by a reality that we know is there, but we can't quite see it. It's frustrating and it's elusive because the soul knows that our life is more than just, as Shakespeare said, getting and spending. Our, uh, it, there's something more that we were yearning for. And so <clears throat> we, as it said, we quoted that passage in the Gita, and the Gita is a magnificent scripture. It's probably the most condensed, profound scripture in the world, because it, on a certain level, 
on a certain level, it seems it's a dialogue between Krishna and Arjuna. But every phrase, every sentence is packed with deep, deep spiritual meaning that uh, even as Sri Teshwar visited a saint and he said, have you read the Gita? And he said, not really. My eyes have passed over it many times, but I can't say that I've understood it. That was Sri Teshwar. And so, but that not to deter us, because I, in this chapter 11, which was quoted in the Ray's reading, it's one of the most magnificent chapters in all of spiritual literature, because Arjuna and Krishna are, they're friends, companions. Krishna is the chariot driver. They recognize on some level that he is an embodiment of God, but he, he puts a veil so they don't really see it. And then in this 11th chapter, Krishna, Arjuna asks Krishna, let me see you as you really are. And this magnificent thing begins to happen, and he begins to have this vision of who Krishna really is, the infinite Lord, thousands of hands and feet, suns and moons and stars filling his being, and just expanding out beyond reality, beyond conscious reality. And, and then at a certain point, Arjuna says to Krishna, paraphrasing, I can't take this anymore. <laughs> Can I just see you as my friend? And phew, he just comes back. And, but I wanted to read to you then the next passage because how do we get there from here? So this is the very end of chapter 11 where uh, first Arjuna says, you once, viewing you once again in the human form my, I love, my mind is pacified and I feel I am once more myself. And the blessed Lord said, very difficult is it to behold as you have done the vision of the divine universe. Its revelation, however, is not attained by penances or by faithfulness to scripture or by charities or by formal worship. O scorcher of foes, Arjuna, only by single-handed devotion, single-hearted devotion achieved through deep yogic practice is it possible to behold me and to become one with me as you have done in my cosmic form? He who serves me alone, who makes me his only goal, who lovingly surrenders every thought of I to me, who releases all attachment to aught else, and who, beholding me in all, bears no ill will toward anyone, he, O Arjuna, enters my vast being. So that's how we get there. It's stated pretty much outlined for us. It's not by formal worship. It's not by belonging to a religion, so to speak. It's simply by single-hearted devotion through yoga practice. And we have that. We have the highest, we've been given the highest techniques and tools of yoga. You know, yoga has become very popular in meditation, and that's a wonderful movement, but people don't understand what it really is for. It's not, you know, it's not an athletic pursuit. It's not even concentration or uh, to 
uh, calm the mind, but it's to in- interiorize our awareness so much. And this is what Kriya Yoga gives us and lift up our consciousness so that our perception changes, so that we can begin through single-hearted devotion and yoga practice and service, to devotional service, that we begin to achieve the capacity to see life as more than it is. I remember once, many years ago, I was living at the meditation retreat at the time, and in those days, on Thursdays, we would everyone would be in silence and fasting. And so I had been meditating for the morning, and I came out to get some water or something. We didn't have running water in our houses. And uh, we didn't have houses <laughs> in my little trailer. Um, and Swami Kriyananda had just pulled up, and he there were some meeting he had to go to. He lived at, um, at his home at the Crystal Hermitage. And he had a white, or kind of a sky blue pullover sweater on. And I had been meditating all morning, so my mind was interiorized. And I saw him, and foolish girl that I was, there was so much light coming from his being. And I just said, Swamiji, what a beautiful sweater. And, and he just laughed. And as soon as that happened, boom, it was gone. But it was just the blue sweater. But it, it was like a little taste that, you know, interiorize your mind and you see the light. And this can be in every, every circumstance, even in the light that shines in the darkness, even in the darkest times, you know, um, <clears throat> Some years ago, we went to hear uh, one of the saints of our century, Richard Wormbrandt. He was a, a Christian minister in Europe, in Romania. Uh, and during World War II, he was uh, persecuted by the Nazis. And then post-World War II, he was imprisoned by the communists and he sp- for his faith, simply for his faith. But he was a great saint. And we heard him speak. And he told this story. Um, He came locally to Grass Valley and spoke. And he had been in solitary confinement for many, many years and and tortured. And his back had been broken and his teeth were all gone. But he was one of the most beautiful human beings I'd ever seen. And he was saying when he was in solitary confinement, it was in a cellar beneath the streets of the city in Romania, they, they were also so cruel, the guards, that they wouldn't let any light in. So they, he was in total darkness all the time. And they would open up a little slit at the bottom of the door and put some kind of food in every day, and he, that's what he could eat. But as he told the story, he was illumined. And he just said, you know, and there's a light that shines in the darkness. And, you know, he couldn't hear anything. And he said, and there's a sound that is beneath the silence. And he was seeing the inner light. He was hearing Om, even in that circumstance. And somehow there was enough public outcry that he was released. He and his wife, his wife was imprisoned at a different prison. And then they had a ministry. He's passed away now. But they would just go all over speaking of Christ, speaking of the love of the Lord. And, but even in the darkness, if our minds are interiorized, and 
um, by the grace of God, we won't have to go through such suffering as some of the great saints have gone through. But nevertheless, we each have our own crosses to bear. We each have our own tests that we have to live through. And if we can remember that, if interiorize the mind, even in the worst of tests, even in medical challenges, when we're frightened, even in upcoming surgeries, whatever might happen, keep the mind focused at the point between the eyebrows and perceive the light behind the darkness. And this is the beginning of being able to see God beyond the events of our life because he's always there smiling. He's always there. And once, once we begin to perceive that light, nothing can dissuade us from the fact that it exists because we know. We know it exists no matter what happens. And the, the whole world can say, oh, you know, this practice of meditation and Kriya Yoga and devotion to God, that's just a waste of time. Well, once we've experienced the light of God, even a touch of it, we just say, get thee behind me, Satan. I don't have to prove it to anybody. I know it exists. Just as <clears throat> Master told the story of St. Anthony, who had so many visions of Christ. And this was a time in early, the early years of Christianity where there came to be this dispute of whether Christ was truly a son of God, if he was an enlightened being, or if he was just a, a wise teacher. And there was all this dispute and controversy. And it was threatening to tear the church apart in the early days when it was just beginning to spread. And St. Anthony was a, <clears throat> one of the desert fathers. And he would go into the desert farther and farther. The young monks would keep trying to find him. And he'd go to a more distant place so he could be alone. But he had many visions of Christ. He saw him. He knew what he was. He knew he wasn't just a wise teacher. He knew the reality. And so they called Anthony to this big debate they were having. I believe it was in Alexandria. And they were Egypt. And they were, uh, this debate was raging between the church fathers and the scholars who really are the anathema to religion. But there, Anthony came in and he stood in the back of the room and his hair all matted and his, his clothing covered with the sand of the desert. His feet, no doubt, were bare. And, but his presence, because he had seen God, his presence was so strong that without saying a word, that one by one all the voices were silenced and all the eyes turned on him. And he just stood there as he did in the presence of God and he said simply, I have seen him. And that was the end of the debate because he had seen him. And truth has more power than all the arguments of the world and all the philosophical debates. Truth, as Swami says in that wonderful song, the world may change or disappear, but truth can never die. So the more we strive to develop that inner vision and live in that truth, and experience it, and to the best of our ability, love God and serve him, and, and by his grace be able to see him more and more, the more that we live in that truth, 
and the more we too can have an impact on the world around us. In the autobiography, Master <clears throat> quotes that episode in the Bible where God said, for 10 good men, I would not destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, but they couldn't be found, and so uh, there it went. But, but 10 good men, Master, or the Lord said, and Master recounts. Well, look at the world around us. Look at it. It is a wasteland of moral confusion and greed and uh, lack of values and disease. But for 10 good men, 10 good people, and Master's children are scattered throughout the world, and there are more than 10 of us, and the more we can see the light, the more we can dwell in the, the presence of God, the more we can help uplift the vibrations of the world. So it's not just for ourselves, by any means. Maybe we'll never have the power of St. Anthony, but by God, we can uplift the little world around us, maybe even a notch or two. So God can be seen, not with the eyes of the physical eyes, but with the divine sight. And I love one of Master's poems, our prayers in Metaphysical Meditations. He says, when my two eyes that behold both good and evil become single, they will behold only the divine goodness of God everywhere. So this is there to be seen beneath the surface of the confusion and violence and hatred of our times, beneath all that, the divine light is there to be seen. And it's both our challenge and our responsibility and our blessing to try to see that divine light beneath the surface of all the shadows of this world. So let's join together in our inner search and help through see, striving to see the divine light to draw it into the world around us. <clears throat>